president's management agenda includes rebuilding the federal workforce and improving customer experience as two of its primary pillars. Some agencies are starting to combine those two pillars to treat their employees as customers. Sean Kennedy is vice president, general manager for health and life sciences at Salesforce. Sean, welcome. Thanks for joining me today. One example of that that always jumps out at me is VA. They've even created customer experience journeys for their employees, really gotten into this concept. What are you seeing as kind of the state of the art in the government for that? And why is that so important? What are those kind of customer experience efforts uh, trying to address in your view? Welcome. Great. Well, thanks for having me, Francis. Really appreciate it. And you're right. It really is a trend. We're looking at our employees as people that we need to serve and we need to serve well, because if we don't serve them well, they're going to leave. And this is a big area of interest. The VA is doing some pretty amazing things there. But when we start thinking about ways that we can engage our employees and treat them like we treat our customers, it becomes really important. So being able to put them on different journeys that are more personalized journeys with frameworks and ways that we can invite feedback from our employees and educate our employees so they can continue to be great at what they do is a really important part of what we want to do to support their mental health and emotional well-being. And it also supports this concept of business resiliency. When you can start to think about your employees as arguably the greatest asset an organization has to be able to make sure that they're working optimally, most productively, and being able to understand when things aren't going right so that you can course correct them. It's a big area of interest and ultimately being able to uh, help manage the overall cost of the business and making sure that your employees are really working as productively as they can and getting all the care and taking advantage of all the benefits that they've earned as being part of the organization. And we think there's a big trend in the government space there. And frankly, outside the government globally, employees are really at the center of what everyone is working to capitalize on. Historically, for all the years I've been in this space, Sean, every leader that I talk to says, my most important assets, my people. So that's not new. What is new, I think, is the the challenge, the worry, whether it's an IT leader, an acquisition leader, uh, a human capital leader, or a financial management leader, doesn't matter. They're all saying the same thing. I'm worried about my people burning out because when people work remotely, they are seeing these folks on at all hours of the day and night, seven days a week, and so on. And I, I wonder what the techniques are that these leaders should be implementing to address that and, and, and how you fix that in the government space. Yeah, it's a great question. And burnout is real. And frankly, it's significant. And so when we think about our government workers, from public health practitioners to community health nurses to emergency responders, they've been on the front line responding to COVID, to social unrest, and in the remarkable rapid pace of change. And they've been doing amazing work, but they've been running in kind of foul weather for a long time. And it's draining and it leads to this burnout. And that burnout can have the negative effect on those you serve, whether they be patients or residents or others you call your customer. Companies have to respond to it because one of the analysts out there, Forrester, they made a big comment where they talked about how every company bringing employees back will become a healthcare company and care delivery will entrench itself in the workplace indefinitely. And the reality is the pandemic transformed the dynamic between employers and employees one, one example indicates that 91% of employees believe their employees should care about their emotional health. So we talk about burnout. It's important to start by saying it's real 
And surveys certainly bear this out by saying 65% of employees in the government report feeling burned out. And there's a couple of things that we see that, that factor into this. One of them is that our public professionals are on the front line during the pandemic experiencing you know, the full weight of COVID. The nature of the job was hard, but it got a lot harder. It was increasingly real and personal. And the other is that getting things in government, getting it done is hard. There's just so much friction, so much hassle, documentation, cross-checking in the system and the other. There's a huge manual part of this current automation. And the good news is that we can do things about it. And the idea is that wellness has really shifted from simply the ability of individuals to address normal stresses to ensuring holistic support for the employee with the understanding that people are not one dimensional. So leadership, change management become really big parts of this. But the other part of it is that friction and automation is gonna drive this incremental productivity without increasing workload. And the process needs to be a testament to a culture that believes in this continual improvement. And so the, the lack of integrated systems makes it harder for workers to do their jobs. This hassle factor really has been ever present, but I think by addressing this idea of wellness and reducing the friction, we now start to target some of these issues of burnout. Yeah, I love the term hassle factor because that's connected on some level from what I hear anecdotally and, and, and what people tell me they see in data to the the back to the, this president's management agenda connection that I made at the beginning of our conversation. Um, the President Biden and, and the administration people that have talked about it, the PMA in particular, have said that the, they see that rebuilding the workforce is a key pillar to reestablishing trust in the government. They use that word trust on an ongoing basis. Um, it strikes me that that's the challenge for agencies in their internal customers, too, to think about emotional health as an opportunity to build trust with the employees and thereby with the employees, then the people that they serve. Am I, am I making that connection the right way or am I kind of thinking about it backwards? No, Francis, you really are. That's exactly what needs to happen is ultimately for our for the constituents, so the stakeholders, the customers that governments are serving, if they don't have that great experience with the organization, then they probably are going to start to lack that trust. And one of the things that we see out there is while the majority of Americans kind of agree public health agencies and public health information are vital to the health of the nation, only 41% trust local and state health governments. At the same time, people are increasingly taking accountability of their own health, but often do so through these unreliable sources and non-medical professionals. So this erosion of trust is quickly becoming a thorn in the side of community well-being. For healthcare, public health, reliable information can mean the difference between life and death which means building trust needs to be a top priority. That's why effective use of technology to capture public health information and data, help health organizations foster public trust and deliver a more comprehensive holistic experience. And I'll just say from a, a patient perspective, right? As an example, every time that patient connects to your health system, government system, each touch with that patient has the opportunity to build a great experience. And over time, that accumulated trust 
delivered by the government professionals gives the health system the opportunity to better engage the patient when they need to. So as an example, encouraging them to get a vaccination. If they trust what they're saying, they're more likely to take action on what they're asking them to do. You wrote recently, we ex- we essentially experienced a five-year leap forward during the pandemic, but we may not be able to maintain that momentum. That comports your observation of the public health system comports with what I'm hearing about information technology and remote work and so on. A uh, lot of gains in a short period of time. It's probably not reasonable to assume we'll make five more years of progress over the next two years. But what maintains that momentum that you're worried about us losing? Yeah, well, that that's a, another great point here because we lost a lot during COVID. But that's that silver lining is that we really had uh, an opportunity to speed up our digital transformation efforts. Um, so we want to make sure that we're continuing to use these things that we had in place. So as an example, we employed thousands of contact tracers. We launched modernized vaccination management systems, all put in place during the pandemic. The reality is that those things don't go away. Sadly, we still have other infectious diseases to track and to immunize against, though the volume of users declines. So we mature those into adjacent use cases. So now moving forward, those same platforms can help now control future outbreaks of other infectious diseases, the flu, measles, Ebola, syphilis. They can also be used to more easily communicate information about the outbreak with the public and mobilize mass vaccination efforts. Now you can also reimagine how the employee experience for service agents, getting back to your other questions and tying it to this one, can really unlock those better experiences for healthcare consumers overall. Call centers traditionally prioritize average handle time and speed to answering, making it difficult for agents to provide the personalized experience healthcare consumers really need. The metrics ignore quality and overwork agents, ultimately leading to decreased performance, decreased job satisfaction, and higher turnover rate. And lastly, I'd say that now that public, now that the data in public health registries, like immunization data, lab registries, it's more available, it's more usable. We can monitor disease indicators in real time to detect outbreaks or disease earlier than would be otherwise. So public health really needs these modern tools. The pandemic brought them. We got to continue to use them to promote healthy communities and stay ahead of what may come next. Well, and what comes next is where I wanted to wrap up. We're almost out of time, but it strikes me that we're we talk all the time. There's going to be another pandemic and and I'm not contesting that, but. I wonder if maybe that's the wrong idea to pursue at this point, Sean. I wonder if just maintaining the ongoing general public health isn't where public sector health leaders should be thinking rather than how do we prepare or stay ready for the next one? Because the next one might not be uh, it might not be soon, hopefully not soon. Uh, that's right. And the public health emergencies are always changing. So wildfires were a pretty big deal that we're constantly dealing with. Very different than COVID, as an example. But as we recover and realign from this pandemic, we're already preparing for what's next, right? So efforts are fully underway to help make sure that we're strengthening our public health ecosystem so we have better access to real-time data and that healthcare and public health data is more accessible to one another. So I think you're going to continue to see as we look to the future and kind of where this may be going and how we prepare for a more resilient future is we're going to see the stronger public-private coordination where healthcare, public health, 
employers generally and technology providers are going to have to work together to take care of what we all have in common, which is people. And to support them, we'll see employers armed with capability to enable this more resilient workforce who can carry on their mission from wherever they need to be to best do their job. And that may be in the relative safety of their home or maybe on site, but with safety protocols more quickly established. Um, we also are probably gonna see a workforce that can more quickly be pointed to adjacent use cases and reskilled to using existing tools and capabilities in new ways. So we did that with vaccine management by extending our contact tracing infrastructure that was built. Um, Communication is going to be really key and want to make sure that everyone's being communicated in a manner they want to be communicated with to promote and preserve trust. And this is all going to be made possible with the ongoing adoption of what we would call modern, cloud-based, always-on, in-real-time, highly configurable technology platforms that have tools such as omni-channel communication, configurable workflows, actionable analytics, uh, connectors to other systems and tools that connect service providers to customers in an increasingly equitable and accessible manner. It's all really critical to making sure that these organizations that are now increasingly going to be healthcare companies are able to really deliver on the promise to their employees and frankly, give out more benefits. These are going to be a competitive differentiator in the future that the company giving out better employee benefits, health benefits is increasing. It'll be looked at something that's going to uh, help bring people into an organization and keep them there. Sean, thanks very much for the conversation. It's great to talk to you today. Thank you, Francis. Appreciate it.